Welcome to the next podcast from Melanie Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie, and thank you for joining me for today's episode. Today we welcome Isabel Swartz from the label Isabeau Chapeau. Isabel is the winner of the Dutch Hat Association competition in 2022. Thank you so much to our wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode happen. Best Western Apollo Bay Motel and Apartments, House of Adorn, Haddis Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Be Unique Millinery, Millinery Australia, Judith M. Millinery Supply House, Hats by Leco, Hat Academy, Louise McDonald Milliner, and Hat Mags. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes. That's either in the podcast app or through our website. If this podcast is something you enjoy listening to and you find it inspirational for your work, I would like to invite you to show your support through becoming a Patreon. This helps us continue to keep bringing the content you love your way. It can be as little as the cost of coffee each month as you listen to the new episode. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash millinerinfo to find out more. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Isabel. Thank you so much, Isabel, for joining me on today's podcast. It's wonderful to have you here talking hats. Um, congratulations on your award-winning piece for the Dutch Hat Association this year. Um, what a fantastic honour it is to have you with us. Could you take us back to the beginning of your millinery career first? How did you become involved with hats? Well, uh, I always loved fashion, even when I was a child. After I graduated, I immediately started an office job. But uh, it was very quickly noticeable that that was not my cup of tea. So I followed a lot of part-time adult educations, such as hat making, fashion design, contemporary lace, textile design. Uh, that was between the year 1995 and the year 2000. Later on, I decided to stop working and went back to a secondary school. So I did my fifth and sixth secondary education again, but now into the fashion direction. After graduating well, for the second time, I became yes. independent and I made hat and clothes on demand. That time we lived in her house on the country, so not a lot of passers-by. Uh, yeah, and it was in 2007, my husband and I took the decision of buying a store in our city and we moved. In the beginning, I did not only uh, sold hats, but also fabrics and accessory. It was in 2014 when we renovated the shop that it became a real hat shop. So not only I do uh, sell my own creations, but well-known brands as the famous Italian Borsalino, Vanizza, Alfonso d'Este, Seeberger, Meiser, Kangnall, and love, but not least, the Belgian brand Derby Sport with its flat caps. Uh, in the meantime, I followed a teacher training, and afterwards I taught modest training in adult education in Bray and then became Corona. <laughs> Due to a combination of circumstances, I moved my workspace, which was until then at the back of the shop to a new yes. location in Hasselt. So I am now on two locations. Oh, what a challenge. 
theater will stay a real shop and I'm there on yes. Tuesday, Friday and Saturday with real opening hours. And in Hasselt, I'm on Monday, Thursday and Wednesday. So you are welcome there on appointment. There is my working space, an area to give workshops and an area with a base of materials. We are still renovating, so it is still not finished the way I want. Uh, well, how I feel it in my head, but um, well, I hope it will be finished soon. <laughs> when you bought the shop, was it already a fashion business or did you develop your hat business from, from the beginning, from scratch? No, it was something else. No. <laughs> we had no head shop in the city so uh, I started from right. zero <laughs> and how far away are the, both of those your two locations from each other uh, by car about 45 minutes wow which is a long way in the Netherlands actually <laughs> oh, well one is in Vlaams Brabant we call it like that and Hasselt is in Limburg, so it are two different uh, parts of Belgium. Belgium, yes. Also different people, so that's a bit the difference between yeah the two cities. Hasselt is also very famous for his uh, Mode Museum, so there is a really nice Mode Museum. If people want to come by, just visit the Mode Museum. <laughs> And what style of hats did you first start making when you opened your shop? Uh, at the beginning, I made, uh, how do I say it? Uh, not very spectacular hats. Just hats that people can wear every day in winter. And for occasionally, sometimes it might have been a bit bigger, but not much. And now I see that people, people are changing. I don't know it has, if it has something to do with Corona, but it might be, be a bit bigger, a bit more expansive. So I think there is a change. And what's the split between, you mentioned uh, a few of the brands that you have in stock there. Um, how, what's the split between how much you, you make for the shop and how much other stock you bring in? I think it's 80% other brands because yeah. people find it, well, most of the time it's easy to choose something they already see and what they can try and what is already finished. Uh, those 20% is people who say, I would love to have something what you make and do whatever you want. It has to be in that color and it has to go with that outfit. But at another aspect, I'm glad it's that way because I do everything on my own. So I also need the time to make it. So that's the reason. Has it allowed you to make different things? Having that stock on hand from the other brands, does it mean you get to make different types of hats yourself? I do not have much time to experiment with other sizes or forms or whatever because yeah I do everything by hand so it takes a lot of time to produce something 
Yes. <laughs> That's a classic millinery approach. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think every millinery has that problem. I wish I had more hours in a day, but unfortunately it's not. <laughs> and what led you to decide to bring in those other brands? Because I think my customers asked for it. And I think, well, in the beginning, when the shop had not only hats, there were a lot of people who asked me, oh, do you have that kind of hat or that kind of hat? And then at a certain point, I decided, well, I will skip all the accessory and all the other stuff. And I want that people know me as a hat shop. So people need the... The, how do you say it? People need the, the choice, the different choice between different uh, brands and different materials and, and yeah. And so you mentioned there a little bit about your training. Um, who did you first start learning hat, hat making from? Um, I followed a two-year training adult education in households, but afterwards it was very basic. And then during an open door from a head supplier, I met Hanna Hinlikova, who was at that time living in Eindhoven. Uh, after a few phone calls with her, I took weekend classes with her during several years. After that, I was happy I found uh, Marianne Jonkind in the Netherlands. The hunger for learning is growing and uh, I'm so happy with events like London Hat Week, Hoodendag or Hat Day from the Dutch Hat Association, where you can follow master's classes with such great teachers as uh, Ian Bennett, Bridget Bailey, Dylan Ward, Dennis Pence, and so much more. So I really love those things. <laughs> That's great. And what's been some of the, what was the best aspect of your training? What's something that's really stood out to you um, as a skill or maybe lesson you've learned about business? I think I can't remember a really a highlight. For me, everything is, is important to learn, not only in the beginning, but even now, after all those years, I'm so happy I can follow lessons with other people just yeah just for fun not really with the intention oh I want to learn something new but just meeting other people who has the same interest as I that's also a highlight for me <laughs> it's very important and a great way to network and connect with other other makers yes yes and for me, uh, making hats, well, it's a bit lonely, you know, I'm in my workspace all alone, so I am happy to meet or have the opportunity to meet other people with the same interest and to talk about hats. And it's, it is a very, can be very, very solitary, working on your own, making, doing it all yourself, as you mentioned, it takes a lot of different skills to be able to do that. Um I was going to ask you about your workspace. Until recently, I work in the back of my shop in Tina, but the head blocks and the materials kept growing <laughs> and I needed <laughs> more space. So that's the reason why I, I moved everything to hustles. But 
there it is stored in an intermediate space because it's not on his final destination yet because we are renovating and so I I'm still moving boxes from one room to another room until, yeah, until uh, it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> What's left to go? Uh, well, it's finished in my head and I know how I want it, but we are not coming to that area yet. So yes. <laughs> renovating is a long process and it costs a lot of uh, time and money so and particularly the money <laughs> that that's yeah that makes me well that's why I have to wait a little bit longer <laughs> <laughs> and do you have clients come into both of your spaces to have a con consultation yes they do it depends a bit where they live mm-hmm and some people say, well, it's no problem. I will come to Hasselt. Uh, I will come by car, no problem. Or sometimes a bit older people, they say, oh, no, I, I, I pick the nearest one. But it doesn't matter. They are welcome on both places. <laughs> and how do you decide what stock to have in each location if you run consults in both? Well, in Tienen, I have a lot of samples and photos. And in Hustle, they can really try it on and see and touch the material. So that's a bit of difference. Yeah. The delicate but, balance. Yeah, but, but Tina is really a shop where they can see all the other uh, hats from the other brands as well. And Hustle, I see more as a, yeah, as a workroom. I only have my own hats here in Hustles. Yeah. So that's a bit the, the difference. Great. And how has your making process changed over your career? You mentioned that you like to hand stitch a lot. Is that always been the case? Uh, yeah, I think it became technically more accurate. Uh, very perfectionist is how do you see that in English I yes. don't know yeah. so uh, I hope I and can uh, improve my creativity as well because for me that's a working point I uh, I would love to go wild on it but I'm always a bit scary of doing that so uh, <laughs> And what have been some of your career highlights so far? Well, I'm very happy I won the first prize from the head competition organized by the Dutch Head Association. But highlights uh, for me, for example, receiving a flower bouquet or a thank, card, thank you card for a happy customer. That is also a highlight for me when people are happy. <laughs> so Absolutely. I can't can't really think about the really highlight everything is a highlight <laughs> every hat is a highlight yes I'm, well not always but uh, <laughs> I'm going for a yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when they're not being a highlight what's your process for working through that <laughs> 
Well, when I make for a client, I think it's very important to listen what they really want. I think it starts with, yeah, what does the client want? And then I build it up. We have an appointment in between so they can try it already. And then we see what direction we will go further on. And at that point, it's a yes or a no. Know what I mean? So we can change the direction or, or it's okay for them. But I think listening to what I want is very important. That's the first step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when your clients come in to see you, um, what process do you go through with them? Uh, well, it depends a bit. When it's in the winter, it's almost for, well, it's, it's almost every time for a hat they will wear every day. So I asked to bring or to wear the coat they want to go with it. And then we, we're looking for the, the, the model and we are looking for a color and I measure their hat and I make something and then uh, they will have a fitting and then uh, it's okay or it's not okay. And then I finish the hat and when it's well starting January, then the the people come who will have a wedding or whatever, and then I hope they already have their dress and accessory, and then we will discuss what yeah what I really want a big hat or just a fascinator or a tiara or whatever. Most of the time I draw something and I send it by mail or WhatsApp or whatever. And then they say, oh, yes, that's what I want or no or bigger or smaller or whatever. And then I start to create. In the meantime, I often send them photos of what I'm doing and which way I will go. And then they say yes or no. In between, they often come and see the creation. And then they say, from, yes, that's it, or change that a little bit, or not that high, or more flowers, less flowers, whatever. And if they are pleased, then I finished the, the hat or whatever. Do you make a collection of hats? How do you work the, the pieces that you present? No, I don't. I always say, well, for this summer, I have to make four or five pieces and that is my collection for now. But huh, people do always want something else. And then I think huh, I do not have enough time to make that collection. I would rather do something else than that because four or five pieces and then they're standing there in the shop they look at it and they say, oh, they are really nice, but that's not what I had in mind. I will have something else. And they want an, another color or, so no, I'm not making a collection. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely understand that. It can be so challenging to decide what to make. And of course that, that happens. You make a piece and they go, you made it in pink, but I will now want it all in blue. And you're like, oh. Yeah, start again to, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think it's a good idea and I always keep in mind well, I'm gonna do it this season I will 
try to make a little collection and make or let make nice photos of it. And then I also can see the, the developing of, of everything year after year, but I never manage it. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Do you sketch every piece before you make it? No, no. Um, but my processes, and it's positive and negative, the head must be finished in my head before I start. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> you know how you, you, so you know I, how you're going to do every step of it. <laughs> yes. And well, try to write down little points first that first that you know that that it's it fits complete and that it's technically fits well made all right. And I think that is a bit of a problem that I cannot be that creative and that experimental because it has to be finished in my head. And how will I make it before I really start? Interesting process. <laughs> well, and it's fascinating to hear how everyone approaches things differently. To, to sketch because I think and the much I sketch, the more, the better I will become and practice, practice, practice. But yeah, sometimes I do to give just an idea for the clients. But when I want to make something for me or, or just for fun, I never sketch. You mentioned you have a teaching space. What type of classes do you have in there? Well, I gave uh, teaching classes for real school and uh, during COVID, uh, it was not much fun. Uh, we are not allowed to teach. We had to make uh, online classes. And then afterwards, I had not enough hours to, to teach there again. And uh, the building, they broke down and things like that. So all the people asked me, oh, it's going to stop. No, no. Can we come with you? And do you want to teach? And that's the most important reason I start teaching here in my space. So at one side, I have people who already know how to make hats. They go over mm -hmm. on one day. And they just, yeah, they can make whatever they want. They can use my blocks and materials and I just guide them and help them and yeah, try to teach that way, each one individually. And then at the other side, I give uh, lessons that I say, well, that day we're gonna make a winter hat, a fedora or a trilby or whatever. If you wanna make that, please come over. I would love to invite other teachers in the future but then again I have to be patient because it's not finished yet but once when I have the space I will go for it <laughs> sounds like a bit of a call out to anyone who might like to go to Belgium <laughs> everybody's welcome in Belgium so <laughs> nice here nice chocolates <laughs> And I think we should talk about your award-winning peak. You okay. won the Dutch competition. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about it? 
Um, well, after receiving the materials, I had to think it over and over again. So at the end, I almost had not enough time to actually make my hat. Uh, for me, it was important that I use the three different vintage materials, but lace, racello, and feeling. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, technical, it had to be very good. And I wanted to make something new. You know, something unrecognizable. Because sometimes you see heads and you immediately recognize the style or technique from another miller. So that was something I wanted to avoid. Yes. And I was inspired uh, with a painting from a head in the book, Heads by Madame Paulette. She was a Paris queen of millers and she was born in 1900. So our heads were born by people like uh, Marlene Dietrich, Audrey Hepburn, Princess Grace of Monaco, and then the Duchess of, the Duchess of uh, Windsor. So I really loved that kind or loved that kind of style, atmosphere. So yeah, so I took that painting and gave it a swirl. <laughs> <laughs> Great description. And so with the competition, you, uh, when everyone registered, the theme was uh, vintage materials. Everyone got a bundle of materials from mm -hmm. a vintage uh, stock. Um, yeah. What materials did you get? Well, that that lace and racello and feeling I used in the hat. I thought, oh my god, what I'm going to do with that. It was also uh, a challenge because I did not really use those materials. And uh, well, we get an amount of, of materials, but not enough to really experiment with it. So it had to be correct from the first time. So as I was a bit afraid of ruining them because what to do then? But yeah, I think I love those materials, but I am not intent to use them again for customers, for instance. I understand that. No, I was going to ask you that is, did it inspire you to use them in another way? But it sounds like that, that mm. it was a good challenge, but not well, the case. <laughs> The Rachello I, I like, I, I love also, I would, when I've seen in the book from Marianne Jonkin, she also made a, a cap with it in combination with a leather pig. So in that way, I would love to make some because that has a contemporary switch. But in the way it was used at that 45 or 50 years? No, I will not. <laughs> well, the lace is not that manipulative. It doesn't work the way I want it to work. That's it. <laughs> I like that reflection. It didn't do okay. what I thought it should do. <laughs> uh -huh. that, that's it. <laughs> the pieces were on display at a gallery. Did you get to go and see them? 
No, I did not. Afterward, I thought it was a bit, uh, well, I felt a bit sad. I didn't went uh, to the to the whole uh, event, but I didn't know I was going to win. I didn't expect that. Because when even when I had the slightest uh, thing for, oh, maybe I'm with the three first uh, winners, then I would go, but I really didn't expect it. So, well, maybe next time again, <laughs> then I will go. <laughs> and with that piece being so different to the other ones that you've made, how did your clients react to that? Did you get any feedback? Well, they said, well, of course. Of course, you make such lovely things. And I thought, oh, don't lie to me. <laughs> well, I am not good to do things like that, you know? Some people make a hat and a hat and it wins every time. But I know from, from me, I'm not good in, in, in uh, yeah. No, I'm not good in that. That's maybe the reason why I do not often make a hat for a competition. Because I always think this... a hat competition, well, it has to be, whoa, you know what I mean? Something, whoa, and I'm not good in making things like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so what inspired you to enter this year or this competition? Well, I see it as a challenge. I have to come out of my comfort zone. Not even for I have to win or no, just to take the time to do something else and think out of the box. And that whole process is also important for me. Not even that, that uh, competition well I'm glad I won the competition but I think that is for me not the most important process because when there is no competition I would never use those materials and think what to do with it and that whole process yeah I need that challenge sometimes I think does that make sense <laughs> yes that's why I like to enter as well. It's really interesting to see. Yes, there are some people who make some amazing winning pieces, but you've got to be really, it can be a challenge for yourself and be happy with what you've made and put forward. That's yes. kind of the win. Yeah, and also you have, that dead, you have that deadline and it has to be finished. That is also a whole challenge for me. <laughs> What was the most challenging part of when you were constructing it? It has a big brim. And I thought, what if it doesn't stay the way I want it be? I wanted to have it like that. If it didn't work that way, I had maybe not enough material to make another one. So there I was a bit concrete. It has to go correct from the first time yeah. because there was a really big bow on it yes. and I had to cut it on the buyers double so I thought oh what 
if I don't like it, I do not have enough lace to make a new one. So yeah, that was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> it's nerve wracking. <laughs> so the question I like to finish on is what's coming up for you next? What's a project you're looking forward to working on? Well, I hope I can go on the direction I'm going on now. I want to grow. I want to go. I want to come become uh, bigger and better. <laughs> uh, you know, in Belgium are not that much uh, milliners. So I hope I can work on that. Inspire some other creatives. Yeah, yeah. And I hope because there are a lot of uh, crafts who disappear because people always wanted to go to be, it has to be uh, less expensive and faster and more. And I hope I can uh, let live our craft or keep that alive. I think that is an impor important goal for me and that people know me and that they know from, yeah, you can follow workshops or master classes with me or other uh, milliners, whatever, that they are here welcome for maybe buying materials. Also on that, on that point, I would love to grow because that's also not easy, find right and nice materials. So yeah, I think that's, that's the direction I wanna go on. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much, Isabel, for joining me for today's podcast. It's been so lovely to speak hats with you. And thank you for inviting me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this Millinery Info episode with Isabel. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Judith M. Millinery Supply House, Hat Academy, Louise McDonald Milliner, Best Western Apollo Bay Motel and Apartments, House of Dawn, Hattis Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Be Unique Millinery, Hats by Lico, Hat Mags, and Millinery Australia. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes, either in your podcast app or through our website. I'd like to invite you to head over to www.patreon.com forward slash millinery info and find out how you can support us continue to bring you this content you hear each month. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.